Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be around the world. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Mike Douglas with you, along with our producer and co-host, Chris Whitler. Hey, hey. <clears throat> Back from a world tour of... That's right. What? The middle United States. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we went all the way across the United States up into Ontario and Canada and back in a minivan. In a minivan and, and you had some in amazing. In an old minivan. And some amazing adventures along the way. <laughs> yes, too. we did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we can talk about another time. Sure. But the other thing we want to do, uh, Chris, and for those of you who've, uh, been listening and logging in a little bit early to the, Live broadcast, you've heard bits and pieces from Chris's new album. Yeah. That just came out and maybe just uh, kind of give us a, a quick detail or two about the album and, and where people can find it. Yes, uh, you can get that album at noisetrade.com backslash Chris Whitler. I actually have two albums there that are free to download. You can down, and if you like them, you can leave me a tip, but you don't have to pay anything. And, uh, these are songs that all, all, both of the albums there are songs that have come from, uh, me processing our, our 21 years in Youth with a Mission mm. and our journeys in ministry and responding wow. to scripture and the stories from there. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's wonderful to listen to. We encourage you to do that. And, uh, hopefully maybe in a couple of weeks, Chris, we can dedicate one of our podcasts to that. That'd be great. And, uh, and listen to, uh, a lot of that album, if not the whole thing. Before we uh, introduce our special guest tonight, by the way, uh, th- this is an incredible story. You know, Chris, oftentimes you, you know people for many years and, mm. and you see them in different contexts, but it's not till we sit down and really allow our stories to intersect yes. that we learn some of the powerful things that God is doing in our midst. Roshni Hurlbert with us tonight, and uh, this broadcast really grew out of um, a, a Bible study format, and, and we were, I, I don't know, we were in Romans. We've been in Romans forever, <laughs> but <clears throat> I think Paul was probably in Romans forever, too. You're right? Roman Roman around Romans. Ro- oh, my goodness. And <laughs> <laughs> we got to talk about uh, Roshni's story. So powerful, it really affected everybody in the room. And we wanted to make sure that uh, we had the opportunity to really talk about the powerful things that God has done in her life. And we'll introduce you to Roshni in just a moment. Before we do that, though, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with another story of a Jesus freak from the Voice of the Martyrs. Remember when you first began to understand who Jesus was and your need for a Savior? Then you confessed your sin and trusted Him with your life. Last February, Shua Ha and his wife made that decision. 
which means they became specific targets for Vietnamese officials. The new official strategy is to leave longtime believers alone, but target new believers for intense harassment. When Shua refused to renounce his faith, authorities beat the couple and their nine-year-old son, seizing their home and livestock. Please pray encouragement for all new believers in Vietnam. For more from the Voice of the Martyrs, go online to persecution.com. You know, Chris, a great reminder there, and we were just in a, a prayer time with one of the great men of the faith, Ben Jennings. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about what God has done in the past here in the Central Valley, what he's doing today, and and we really can't imagine everything that he's going to do in the future. But Ben had an amazing observation that oftentimes when we've spent a significant time in prayer and God answers it in significant ways that sometimes the temptation for us is to back off from that dedication to prayer, which he called really the the roots of the whole system. And uh, and, and really, I I think God's shed some tears over that because we lose that real connection with him about what's happening in in the city. There is a wonderful, wonderful ministry here that's uh, in town. It grew here, actually, in Modesto called Marriage 911 Mm -hmm. out of Reconciling God's Way, Joe and Michelle Williams, and I had the privilege of working with Joe and Michelle when they really began this as an independent ministry, and I sat in awe of how God has really equipped them through personal trials and, yes, and tribulations yeah. to help other couples that are going through stuff. And you're looking at several decades of wisdom here packed in this course. It's called Marriage 911, Hope and Harmony for Your Home. And if you're listening live to us uh, tonight, it begins Tuesday, September 9, runs 11 weeks to November 25th. So from September 9th to November 25th, 645 uh, in the evening to 815 p.m. It's going to be offered at Modesto Free Methodist Church, 1520 Rose Avenue. And uh, these are the authors of Yes, Your Marriage Can Be Saved. And I remember the first book that they wrote reconciling God's way and, and had the privilege. Uh, they allowed me to to be part of the editing process for that. And I was just amazed at the wisdom that's contained in that. It is only $28 per person. If you go out wow. in the open market, you're getting yeah. about a bazillion dollars yeah. worth of wisdom out of this course. So yeah. I encourage you to take uh, advantage of it. If you would like to uh, take advantage of it, give them a call at 209-578-HELP. That's 209-578-H-E-L-P. Or if you're like me and you get retentive sometimes, it's 4357 <laughs> if you'd like the number, 209-578-4357. Again, it's Marriage 911. It's a weekly co- uh, course, Hope and Harmony for Your Home. And I, again, this is the finest, the finest curriculum and accountability system for improving your marriage that I know of hands down, and I've seen a bunch of them. And it's from people that have been in the trenches. They have come through some really been in times. the trenches, <clears throat> shot in the trenches, <laughs> tr- drug through the trenches. I mean, this is personal experience, God's wisdom. It is wholly biblically based. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. Right. I just <clears throat> want to clarify that. 
totally Bible-based, and again, uh, I want to provide my personal recommendation for that. Again, it's uh, 209-578-HELP, help, or 209-578-4357. Again, we want to go back to uh, this theme of the persecuted church around the world. This time, some wisdom from our friend Brad Dacus from the Pacific Justice Institute. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now, with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. As we advocate for religious freedom here in America, we should remember that this freedom is vital to the success of our nation. Many of the freedoms we enjoy were established years ago by the Constitution and First Amendment, so at times, we may take them for granted. But recent events should remind us not to do so. For instance, in one Middle Eastern city, Christians were told by militants to pay a fine, leave their homes, or be killed if they did not deny their faith. Whether it's within the United States or in some other part of the world, forcing people to deny their faith is an egregious violation against humanity. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. And again, you're listening to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Mike Douglas with you along with our producer and co-host, Chris Whitler. <clears throat> and now time to introduce our special guest tonight, Roshni Hurlbert. And I don't know, we've known you and JP for now oh, close to probably, what, 17 years now, maybe? You know, uh, about 21 years. 21 years. Yeah. Wow. Been that mm-hmm. long. Well... And I met, <clears throat> I met, uh, Roshni's husband, JP, uh, the first time when I tried to drown him, uh, actually. Oh, uh, lovely. Yeah. The, well, the first time That's that, that I met him, we were doing uh, some baptisms at a local <laughs> church I was on staff at there. And, uh, was bap- and, and of course you have to go through a course, yeah. you know, so you understand what baptism means and the significance and, and all of that. So promise keepers had just occurred. And uh, I've got all these people to be baptized, and up walks this perky guy, and he <laughs> says, "Hey, I, I really renewed my faith, and he says I'm on fire, and and I I want to be baptized today." And you know, being the good soldier that I was there, I'm thinking, <clears throat> "But you haven't gone through the course." <laughs> And God said, shut up, Mike, and baptize the man. You know, if it was good enough for Philip and the Ethiopian, it's certainly good enough here. And I said, oh, I got it. <clears throat> you know, so uh, we, we baptized JP, and, and I didn't hold him down too long. He, he survived that. But great honor, great privilege, and uh, then met uh, Roshni afterwards. And uh, let, let's begin, as, as our stories start to intersect here, Roshni, let's go back and talk about your ethnic heritage and also your spiritual heritage as well. Now let's take it all the way back to mm-hmm. Fiji, okay. of all places, and, and just start from there, and, and, and let's begin the story. Well, um, let's say, uh, I'm going to start with Fiji, of course, and I was born in Fiji. And it's interesting because my grandfather was from India, and so when the British colony overtook India, um, they took my grandfather to Fiji to cultivate the land. Mm-hmm. So my uh, father was the first generation, and we were the second generation. And um, <clears throat> my grandfather um, pretty much was from the Muslim background. And, uh, in fact, uh, his last name was Mengel, 
And if you look up Mangel in Google, you will find the Mangel tribe. It's a very huge tribe still in Afghanistan. So Mangel is an Afghanistan heritage. And uh, for myself, growing up in Fiji, um, it was paradise, you know. <laughs> it's you, where the water comes from. <laughs> it's just beautiful. I, I'm thinking Fiji Modesto. <laughs> I know. Ah, wow. But anyway, continue. And <laughs> some of you guys might not know where Fiji is, but it's close to Australia and New Zealand. It's close to the equator as well. And uh, growing up in Fiji, I can't complain. You know, we had it really well. Um, my father uh, was a businessman and entrepreneur, and uh, so um, growing up there was very enjoyable. I can't complain. Life was good in Fiji. And, uh, you know, I was there till I was 12 years old, and uh, my father traveled a lot to different, you know, countries because um, he was also exporting um, a number of things and importing, too. Um well, what happened was that when I was there around 12 years old, I realized that, you know, from my mom's conversation, my dad's conversation, that my dad wanted to leave Fiji and come to the United States. Um, we've heard a lot about United States because he traveled to United States. And so when we heard USA, we were, boy, happy. Like, this is <laughs> dream country, you know? And... um so uh, eventually my father decided to retire, and he was in his 40s. Yeah, and so he decided to sell his land, some of it, and uh, sell his business and come to America in 1976. And we came to America, and, and uh, we uh, came to San Francisco. And uh, it was interesting because uh, as I look back, um, I never traveled in a huge airplane. Mm. So uh, coming to America, we traveled in Qantas. And uh, the first time uh, I saw a television, like a big, huge television screen, and I saw Bugs Bunny for the first time. <laughs> yes. I'm not kidding. That was the most scariest moment for me because <laughs> I never knew cartoon ever existed. Really? Wow. Yeah. Right. And so in my imagination at 12 years old, my parents really didn't prepare us mentally or emotionally, you know, from coming from Fiji to America. That's a huge, huge change. Mm -hmm. So I thought people in America were going to look like Bugs Bunny because no one ever told me. <laughs> so um, we landed in San Francisco. I remember it was so beautiful, you know, landing in San Francisco. And first time I see things that I've never seen before. The big thing that I remember is the different nationalities there was in San Francisco airport. Yeah. So that itself was shocking. And, um, but I was really intrigued. Now I'm in the city now from an island to a city. And, uh, you know, it was really, um, you know, I would say amazing because I'm 12 years old. Yeah. Uh, I'm in a shock, but yet I'm excited. And, uh, so we lived in San Francisco, San Francisco for a couple of years, went to uh junior high there. And then eventually my mom and dad wanted to move to Modesto because it was farmland. So my dad, you know, also was a farmer too. Mm -hmm. He had a plantation. So he wanted to have a laid back life 
because he was always busy, you know, as a businessman. So he wanted to have a laid back life. And so he didn't like the city so much. I love the city. Until this day, I love the city. <laughs> so, uh, he ended up live, uh, he ended, he ended up leaving, but, um, excuse me, San Francisco and came to Modesto. And, uh, he really liked Modesto. And so this is where now my life will change because I'm in a community with very little amount of Indian people, Asian people, and um not a lot of Bugs Bunnies either. No, <laughs> there's no Bugs Bunny, thank goodness. Um <laughs> but uh my life started changing when I you know what came to Modesto. Mm. Um it was because um I was not um you know what surrounded by a lot of different nationalities. Uh, my parents came to a town where there's a lot of Caucasian people then, yeah. nine, you know, in the early 70s, no, late 70s. And so um, my first year was in junior high here when I went to Loloma High. And it was very challenging for me because, um, again, my parents didn't, you know what, sit down and prepare us emotionally or mentally to what we were coming into and so growing up in Modesto was very challenging. Going to school was very challenging. Uh, of course, at that time, there was a lot of discrimination. And so I remember going to junior high, being called, you know, camel jockey, oh, you know, boy. go back to Iraq, get out of here, you know, you don't belong here. So there was a lot of bullying in my life at a very early age coming mm. to this country. But what happened is that at that age, I realized, too, that... um I didn't feel belonged. This was mm. not the place I belonged. Mm. And so there was a lot of pure pressure that I was keeping inside. And um, you might have heard this maybe from others, but um, our culture is not really a culture of, you know what, communication. We're not a culture of letting your emotions go right. or talking about your feelings. You know, that's supposed to be a big, you know what, no-no. You know, you just keep it between, you know, you just keep it within yourself. So what happened was that I did keep it inside of me, but I also took it to somewhere else. I went, to, I went and talked to God. When I talk about God, and now I came from a Hindu religion, even though my grandfather was Muslim, my, yeah, my, um, my grandmother was from the Hindu religion and she practiced the Brahmin, uh, side of Hinduism. And so in my family, my mom was the religious one. My grandmother was, was the religious one, but not my father so much. And so, as I started going through a lot of peer pressure and junior high, I started talking to God a lot because I couldn't talk to my mom or my dad. You know, I knew if I would, they would just say, you know what, just, you know what, keep it to yourself. Now, when you, w with your spiritual heritage, mm -hmm. when you say I'm talking to God, mm -hmm. who are you talking to in your mind? I'm uh, talking to the God Krishna. Okay. And uh, I pretty much am familiar with him because that's who I talk to a lot. Krishna and Vishnu is one of the gods. And so um, there's different categories and different gods in our religion, and there's so many gods. Mm -hmm. And so Krishna and Vishnu are the two big powerful gods that most of the Hindu believers uh, talk to and pray to. You know, there's also Lakshmi, she's the money god. And so I tended to talk to Krishna. 
And so most, and then also I loved Krishna because if you look at Krishna's picture, he's one of the, you know, pictures that we idolize in the Hindu religion. It's a very beautiful, uh, he's a very beautiful God. So did you grow up visiting temple and, and, uh, taking offerings and doing those rituals you you went you grew up participating in that yes yeah. and we also had a section in our house mm. that was mainly to keep the idols and also to go and worship and it was always in a part of the house was facing east which is interesting mm. and um so that was another place that I went to that my mom had and it usually was in a very sacred place where people couldn't really go and worship these gods, um, and they're made of idols. So as I got to be, uh, you know what, as I went into, you know, junior high more and more, I found out it was very like challenging more and more because I didn't make any friends. Mm. So what happened to me, I realized that something was triggering inside of me and that was depression. I started finally getting depressed at the age of 13. Mm, And, um, and as I got depressed, I didn't tell anyone this because depression wasn't very familiar in our religion. In fact, if you talked about things mentally that you're going through, the first thing they'll say to you is that um, there's some kind of satanic, you know, what issues that you're going mm-hmm. through, you know, so um, it's not even wise to go to someone uh, immediately you will look, be, you'll be looked down like oh, something's wrong yeah. with you. Mm. <clears throat> so I kept it to myself. So I decided to commit suicide at the age of 13 oh, because yeah. I was so depressed and I couldn't handle the peer pressure of school. I couldn't handle one thing was the big change. I think mentally, if my parents had mentioned it to me, prepared me mentally, I think that would have been great. But I didn't have that. Neither, none of my siblings had that. We just had to accept what it was. So you were feeling very alone, yeah. kind of in a box you couldn't get out. Of. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, so the first time when I tried to commit suicide, I kept it to myself. I took a bottle of pills. I ended up in the hospital. I was told by the doctor, you know what, that you need to see someone who specializes in suicide. I begged the doctor not to tell my parents because I was afraid. I was afraid that they would look down on me like I'm one evil child. Why would I be doing that? And so as time went by, I I, uh, realized that something was not right with me. And um, I felt also that I must be a bad karma because... That's one of the things that, you know, a Hindu religion believes in too. So I thought that, you know what, I am a bad karma. That means my past life really was bad. Mm -hmm. And I've come into this life carrying on that same, you know, problem. You just brought the baggage with you. I brought the baggage with me. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, if I was going to communicate anything about what's going on, I would be labeled as a bad karma. Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. So the older I got, the more I realized that I was going through something that was so severe, so dark, that I could not open up to anyone. It was something that no one would believe that I was going through. So it became my, you know what, my own problem. And I tried to deal with it as much as I could. Hmm. But I realized the older I got, the severe it was getting. So I called on my God too many times. I can't even count how many times. The one thing that I used to ask my God, 
Krishna was, why is this happening to me? Mm. Why am I this bad person? You know, why do I go through this internally? And, um, I always called on him and I never ever found something. I never got a reply or a piece about it every time mm. I talked to him. And that in fact bothered me more. So I started, you know what? Thinking, well, something's not right here. Why am I not getting any peace? And interestingly, as I'm going through this, I, um, loved watching TV. You know, that was one of my escape was watching TV. One day there was the Ten Commandments that mm. came on and something drew, I mean, at this point I'm talking about something. It was God, the God that I worship now. I was so drawn to the Ten Commandments. Mm. And I remember something, you know, about Charlton Heston, you know, coming down the mountain is that he looked different to me because something changed in him. Mm. And that's the thing that was drawing me. And he used the word God. And I'm thinking, is this the God that I think, you know, I'm worshiping or is this a different God? So I started questioning. I started, you know, getting curious in my mind. Something's different here in this movie that I I'm looking for, but I'm not sure what it is. So um, every time the, t- the Ten Commandments would come every other year or so or every year, um, I was really intrigued by it. I was drawn by the Ten Commandments. But that was, you know, now that I look back, it was God just pulling me into that, you know, movie more and more and, and uh, my, you know, myself getting more curious. So your prayers were being heard. I believe that. By the God Almighty. Yeah. And, and I, let me go back just for a second. Uh, politically, I'm thinking of what's happening in the world and some of the discrimination that, that you faced in school. Just about the time of the Iranian hostage crisis. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there was, there was that stuff going on in America and you became the scapegoat mm-hmm. for that, right? Yeah. Not knowing uh- what you're History was actually. Right, because I, I looked like, you know, someone from the Middle East, you know, so, um, that just got worse when that was happening, you know. There was still some bullying going on before that, but it, it just triggered more bullying at that point. Now you have siblings? Yes. How many? I have one brother and I have, uh, seven other siblings, their sisters. So there were a whole bunch of you. Yes. In San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Were I, any of them experiencing some of the same dynamics that you were? No, actually. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If they were, they weren't even saying it. Like, you know, I had mentioned earlier, our culture was not about communication, right. about talking about emotions. And, um, so that was one of the issues and it still is, you know, for a lot of the families, you know, we don't talk like most Americans can sit down and talk about their feelings or what they're going through. You know, we just have to keep it inside and deal with it within ourselves. And, um, so going back to my years, I realized something as, you know, the old, the older I got, um, the less peaceful, I mean, the peace I didn't have inside, I wanted to follow my mom's, you know, religion. She was very faithful. I saw her always, you know, focusing on her days of prayer. And um, so I wanted to follow her in her ways. But when I think about the past, I think a lot about that I didn't have any peace mm. that I was searching for. And uh, at the age that I was in high school, I realized that's when my life became more and more challenging. Um, because that's the age when I'm searching who I am. 
and trying to be someone that I'm not. And uh, as I went to high school, uh, first was Downey, then I ended up in Bayer. Um, when I was in Downey, in fact, I realized that all that stuff that I carried with me in junior high, and all the stuff that like as far as stuffing things about, you know, what I was going through. When I went to Downey, I started finding out that I became more angry inside. There's a lot of anger that was, you know, evolving inside of me, excuse me. And uh, I brought that to Downey. Mm -hmm. And then when I realized that um, I was just one angry individual because I couldn't share to anyone what I was going through. And then I realized I started getting in trouble a lot. I started, you know what, hanging around with the wrong crowd. And then my mom and dad realized that, you know what, she needs to be pulled out of Downey and she needs to go to another school. And so they put me at Bayer. Now, when I attended Bayer, um, what happened was that there was this young man that basically um, started to like me. And that's something that you cannot have in the Indian culture is mm. a young man, you know, wanting to, um, you know, date a young lady. So um, what happened was this young man really wanted to get to know me. And uh, I eventually started to get to know him. The words kind of spread in our community because the Indian culture, the Asian culture, they're very close. You know, there's always that family loyalty. So then my father heard about it that, you know, here's this, travels quick, yes, huh? <laughs> there's this young man and, you know, and there's Roshni, you know, and these two are, you know, dating. And my father basically, um, said that is not going to happen. That is not going to di- happen in this family and you're not going to disgrace this family. So at that age, when I was about uh, 16 years old, my father, one day as I was getting ready to go to school, I turned on my car, my car wouldn't turn on, and he took the battery out of the car because he just didn't want me to go to school anymore because he heard that I was seeing this young man, right? It was nothing serious, but it was just, you know what, we're just getting to like each other. So when my daughter gets older, I'm going to have to remember that. (laughs) Battery out of the car. Yeah, that's a great, or the distributor, (laughs) one of the, well, of course, they don't have those anymore. Uh, Now, in in the culture of your family, were the marriages arranged or what? Yes. Yes. Okay. Most of the marriages are arranged. And my siblings, all of them, you know, that mar- that pretty much got married before I did, um, their marriages were arranged. Mm. And so um, I was the one that basically was going to have the arranged marriage too. So my father gave me an ultimatum that, you need to go to school. The only way you're going to go to school is that you're going to bring this young boy to my home and I'm going to meet him and I want to see how serious he is about you. Mm. And if he's not serious mm. about you, then I'm going to take you to Fiji and you're going to marry someone else. That was my wow. you know, an option. Mm. <clears throat> so, of course, I uh, had you know this young man come over. My father met him and my father asked him, how serious are you about my daughter? And he said, I am. And then he said, if you're not going to marry him, I mean, marry her, excuse me, um, then I'm going to take her to Fiji. And so that was his, you know what, <clears throat> option. Either you get married or she's going to get married to someone else. And you're in high school. And I'm in high school. <laughs> and I'm 16 years old. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, he does get married to me. He says, I will marry her. It's, yeah, and he's 17 years old. So then, now what, what's his background? He's got the same background. His, you know, Asian like me. Uh, he uh, basically came from also the same religion, 
you know, that I was in. And so, um, so yeah, he, uh, my father basically got me married at 16 years old. Uh, and that was the only way I was going to be finishing school. And, uh, he stayed married to me for four years. It was a very, uh, abusive marriage, verbally abusive marriage. And, um, so anyways, um, what happened was that that four years wasn't an easy four years. So I had asked my mom, you know, what this is, this is, well, actually, this is what I said. I said, this is what's going on in our marriage. And, you know, I don't think I could handle this anymore, you know, and I don't think I should be verbally, you know, physically be abused. And so my mom basically said, no, this is how it's going to be. Yeah, it's interesting that I was married for four years, but we didn't have any kids <clears throat> together. And uh, how God, I look back, how God's hand was there too. And after four years, he decided to divorce me. And that's, okay, after he divorced me now, that's when more problem became for me. Because yeah. in my culture, divorce is not allowed. Mm -hmm. And I was the first one that got divorced. Mm -hmm. So now I get disowned from my father because mm -hmm. I got disgraced, right? So my And you're about 20 now? I am, yeah, 16, yeah, till 20, yes, four years. So the family basically disowns me. The only person that stayed in communication with was my mom with me. And um, I realized after that that how important family was to me. You know, you know Indian culture, Asian culture, uh, they are very family-oriented, right? And I say Indian, Asian because that's what they say. It's Asian now, and when you go to the Bay Area, it's not Indian, it's Asian. So... And, um, some of you guys might want to, you know, rephrase it as, as Asian now. So then, um, after, uh, that, that divorce, I found myself in a very lonely place all by myself again, mm. where I had to keep all my emotions, you know, that was, um, going, you know, what I was going through inside of me. So my mom stayed in contact, but my family didn't. And I realize now, I'm going through a trigger of depression again. Mm. Because I look back now, I think, you know, to myself, what was the cause of my depression? It's all these triggers of things that took place. Well, it's just sort of sorrow upon sorrow mm -hmm. and not having an outlet to be able no. to deal with it, not having a friend to talk to. Um, and yeah, that is an incredible burden to put on a young person. Yeah, yeah and you suppress things. That's yeah. what I remember looking back. I suppressed, I suppressed, I suppressed. So eventually what happened by suppressing that, I became very unhealthy because mm -hmm. I became destructive. And um, what I realized that, you know what, this is not something I want to live through. Because I came from the religion of Hinduism, I believed in karma. So I had a plan. I said to myself, well, if this is the life that is for me here, and I'm not a bad person, because I asked God many times, I didn't do anything wrong to deserve this. So if this is going on, that means my karma is so bad, I'm going to go through more stuff. So my plan was to get out of this place, this world, and be something else. So I came to the idea like that at 13 years old. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what? Because this world is not the place that is for me, I need to, you know what, choose something else. And that was my, you know what? 
um, agenda to get out of this world. So I decided to kill myself over again. And, uh, knowing that I was not going to be accepted by my family at all, right? The rejection of my family was really hard to bear. I didn't have any family to go to or talk to. Well, my mom, yeah, she would talk to me once in a while, but my father basically was not happy when my mom would talk to me. So of course they would argue because you know what? She was saying, she was keeping her communication with me. So then when I tried my second attempt, I failed. I was angry at God. And um, now remember, this is my God, you know, the one I was worshiping. So I got angry and I kept on saying, why is it that I'm failing? I want to get out of this world. And so um, as I look back, I thought to myself, you know what? At that point, I'm going to try again because now I have to either get out of this life or I have to get out of Modesto. So I tried again for the third time. I failed. So eventually I said, you know what? I'm going to just get out of this town because it's too depressing. No one really wants me here. So I ended up in San Francisco at 20 years old, got a job with Estee Lauder, you know, became a representative for them. I love the city life. That's where I wanted to be, right? But then uh, I stayed there for about a year and a half, and I financially was getting broke because I couldn't afford living on my own, and I came back to Modesto. And then what happened was that when I came back to Modesto, the situation wasn't resolved. There was still bitterness in my family. Still that rejection was there. So what did I do? I decided to do something opposite. I decided to now be the girl that I wanted to be. You know what? No one's going to tell me what to do. So I decided to just, you know what? Do a lot of partying and going to the clubs. And of course, you know what? I met a lot of friends here and they started, you know what? Inviting me to go to different parties and, uh, from my work where I worked at, uh, in Weinstocks in Modesto. But what happened was that the more I did the partying life, the more I found myself in a place of darkness more. Mm-hmm. And there was no peace, you know. I'm still like within all this time that I'm going through all this, I want peace, but I also have an agenda. If I don't get a peace, I have a plan to get out of this world if I'm not going to get peace, right? So I'm still calling to God. Why? You know what? I'm going through this emotional darkness inside of me. I'm not letting one in. I'm not letting anyone know. Even my friends have no idea what's going on with me because I don't want to be judged. So I'm keeping a lot of things inside. And, um, but, um, by the age of 26, I tried taking my life again. And this was the f- fourth time? Fourth time. Fourth time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, uh, this time was real serious to where I ended up in the hospital. And, uh, I needed, I had to have surgery because the doctors had to operate on me because I was very close to, um, um, tearing my artery, my main artery. Mm. And so mm. I ended up, uh, in the hospital. I was in the hospital for two weeks. None of my family members came to see me. Mm. Wow. Yes. Because now in their eyes, I am a bad karma. Mm. So once I got out of the hospital, um, my mom decided to take me in and, uh, my uncle, I remember came to visit me and he's a very religious uncle. And till till this day, he is still a very religious, you know, 
in his ways in Hinduism. And he came to me and said, what's happening to you? You know, this thing that you're doing, you know, whatever you're going through, you know, you just need to get over it because this is not what you should be doing. This is dark and this is a bad karma on you. And so they had the priest pray over me and the priest that prayed over me um, also looked at my hand because they do a lot of the um, psychic hand reading. Oh, like the palm, palm Yeah, reading. palm reading. Mm-hmm. So he read my palm and he said that I was going to have seven years of bad luck. Seven years because of what happened to my past in my previous life. Mm, wow. So I already knew that's what was the case. And so he you just confirmed it. Lived through more. Yeah. More than seven yeah. years already. So then I said, this is, this is not going in a good direction. And so as I'm contemplating what's my next move, right? I'm in also in the process of seeing a psychologist because remember when I was in the hospital, um, after my surgery, a psychologist came to me and the first time at that point, uh, when I had severely tried to attempt to, you know, kill myself, the psychologist was right next to my bed and said, do you know that you have manic depression? And I had no idea what manic depression was, mm. but he suggested to me that I need to go see a counselor. So I did go see the counselor every week and the counselor basically prescribed me medications. Now, every time I remember going to the counselor, this is what I was doing. Because now I'm at a point, right? The counselor is giving me medication. He's basically letting me, you know, vent. He doesn't say anything. just lets me vent. I'm still not at peace. I'm still thinking in my mind, how do I get out of this place? And um, I took the medication. It wasn't really helping me. And so I'm still calling on God. I remember so many times going to my appointment, calling God, God, where are you? Why is this happening to me? I don't want to live this life. Stop this or I'm going to take my life again. Those were my words to him many times. And then um, I remember also as I'm going through this, you know what? Um, no one knows what I'm going through in my, you know what, place of friendship. And uh, in my previous work, no one knew anything. I kept it to myself. After I was seeing the counselor, I realized one thing is that I need to also uh, get myself together, you know what, to a point where I could work again. So I found myself working for Nutrisystem as a counselor. And when I was there at Nutrisystem, I think it was 1988 or 89, sometime around there, and uh, they had their office building where Lucky's used to be that, you know, by Stanford. Um, there was this young lady that was also there. Her name was Loretta. And uh, her and I became friends real quickly. And uh, there was one day where we had to uh, practice for a quiz for the next day. And uh, I needed a partner and she needed a partner. And she said, Rosh, you know, would you like to, you know what, partner up together and so we could do our, you know, studying together and prepare for the quiz for the next day. And I said, yes, great. So she says, why don't you come to my home, right? So she gave me the address. I, um, you know, I found the place where she was living. And it was, I remember, it was a beautiful place. And it was a month of June or July because it was really hot that day. And so I went to her place, and uh, she was living in, like, a beautiful setting in the back 
backyard where there was on the backyard there was this pretty cute cottage and uh as i went into her place you know this beautiful cottage you know if she asked me to sit down i sat down and the first thing i saw as i sat down on the shelf was a bible mm. it was the first time i saw a bible really? and it said b-i-b-l-e on it right. And as I saw that Bible, I asked her immediately, I said, do you go to church? And she goes, yes. And she asked me, you know, do you go to church? And I said, yeah, I'm, I go to church. Uh, I'm a Hindu believer, so I go to church. And uh, she says, um, do you know Jesus? And I said, no. And uh, so I asked her, I said, um, so you go to church? She goes, yes. Um, she goes to me, she goes, you don't know about Jesus? I said, no. So then she quickly said beside me and she says, Rosh, you know what? Would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? At that point, I seriously did not know what I was getting into. I just like went along with it because I knew I had another plan if this was not going to work. Right. So then she says, yeah, she says, Roshni, would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior? And I said, I have nothing to lose at that point. I even said that to her. And so she says, would you like to pray with me? And I said, yes. So she says, you know what? Say these words, you know. And as I'm saying these words, I felt the cleansing of the Holy Spirit from my feet to my head. Mm. And uh, he was washing me from Mm. all my sins. And I remember that day so vividly. I remember, in fact, there was a window behind me. I'd never seen this before ever happen. But that window, as I got done with my prayer, there was this beautiful breeze that came. Mm. And I'm serious. It opened that window. Mm. And I felt like evil went out of that, you know what, presence. And Jesus came. Something happened. And I, I didn't know anything, what I was going to do. I just went along with it, like I said. That's amazing. And for that first day in my life, I got out of her, you know, beautiful cottage, drove home, looking at Modesto, like this most beautiful place I've ever seen. (laughs) And I went to my apartment. That time I started living in my, you know, my own. And I went to my apartment. The first thing I did, I called my mom up and I said, Mom, guess what happened to me? I just accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I said, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior now, too. <laughs> so my mom, sweet mom, she, you know, she said, Raj, you know what? As long as you're happy, you know what? I'm happy for you. And so um, my journey started happening, you know, in the Lord. And I realized something different happened. But there's something I have to say is that, you know what? I got connected in the church real quickly with Loretta, you know, by my side. I started going to um, Pastor uh, Damien's church, downtown Modesto. Mm-hmm. And bless his heart, he was a pastor that prayed over me because he knew the battle I was going through with my family. Because now I have to tell my family I accepted Jesus Christ. <laughs> so now I'm being disowned again. But you know what was awesome about the second time of being disowned? I realize more than ever now, you know what, how God's plan was for me to depart from that family so I could grow in the Lord more than ever. 
so he could strengthen me with my relationship with him. I knew right then that God is real in my life because I never committed suicide after I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. I never took, you know what, medication from that, you know, counselor. I basically went into scripture. I went into First Kings James Bible. I asked the Lord to help me to understand first, you know, no, not first King, uh, King James Bible. And the Lord was showing me over and over again how much he was real. Mm. Now, within three years of my time of accepting Jesus Christ, there's something that I was going through. And this is, you know what, for people who have come from a strong religion, I was going through a spiritual warfare for three years. But God was so good to me that he allowed me to be in the word, to be hungry for the word, and to understand how real he was to me. Because Satan was always saying this to me, even though I accepted Christ, right? He said, you know what, it's a lie. Mm -hmm. It's a lie. There's no peace there. There's no heaven. But you know what? Christ revealed to me over and over again in my dreams that he was real and there is heaven and I'm going there. Wow. And that was the confirmation that this was different. I had my peace. You know what? I didn't need to do any harm to myself ever again. I was precious in the Lord. I find my I found my hope in Jesus Christ. That's what happened to me. That thing you were searching for all those years. All those years came real to me because I was searching and I was calling on God and he was there all along. And I look and I look back now and I see that it was all a spiritual warfare because the truth was that, you know what? Satan did not want me to be saved. See, God had a higher plan for me. Because after I accepted Jesus Christ, you know what? JP came to know the Lord. You know, my mom, um, 1996, after JP and I lost our child, after we got married, my mom came to know the Lord because she saw something different in me. A month later, after I lost my child, she asked me, Roshni, how come you have so much peace, you know, after losing your child? And I said, Mom, it's because I know where my daughter our daughter is, I know she's in heaven with the Lord. You know, I lost her at 37 weeks mm. at Kaiser in San, San Jose. Mm. And um, my mom for the first time saw real peace because she saw my example that that is true, that, you know what, that peace really is real when you, you know what, demonstrate it. And my mom um, sat there next to me. I remember that day when she asked me that question. I said, Mom, do you know where you're going when you die? I knew exactly the right question to ask her because in my religion, if you ask someone about peace and where you're going, no one knows where they're going. So I knew to ask my mom the right question. I asked my mom, Mom, do you know where you're going? She goes, no one really knows. And I said, Mom, I do. And I said, you know what, Mom, I have peace about it. And that, you know what, time with her, 1996, my mom came to know the Lord, and that was April 1996. But it didn't end there. Now, my dad came to know the Lord. My aunt came to know the Lord. My cousin came to know the Lord. My friend came to know the Lord. My niece came to know the Lord. So I've been, you know what, God has used me as a vessel. you know. And now I look back and I said, you know, Lord, that's who I am. I'm your vessel. You know, thinking about your, what you said about your friend that you worked with, we never know the people that are right around us, the things that they're going through. That's right. Yeah. Unless we 
take just a little bit of time and ask. And that's such an amazing story to me that your friend just had that, you know, that um, courage and uh, that she cared enough right then to really ask about your life and um and and to to point you to Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's it's mind blowing, you know. The people that are around us, we have no idea what their lives are like. When I, I think in our culture, Chris and, and Roshni, we're so busy. We're running around even in vocational ministry we get yes. we get caught up in the dumb busyness of, of the structures and the expectations and all that. We don't take the time to allow our story to melt into the stories of others. And Loretta's story intersected with yours, and God obviously had that plan. Mm-hmm. And look, I grew out of that. It was exponential growth. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 it's the way it's dad. supposed to happen. It is. It is the way it is supposed to happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, God's time is eternal. Ours is not. Unfortunately, we're bumping the clock just a little bit, uh, Roshni, but I am sure because of the demographics in our area, especially as you, uh, you know, head down, uh, to, to Fresno down the 99 and such, there are a lot of Asians in the Central Valley. And some may be going through the type of thing that you are because nobody's talking. Uh, they're respecting the cultural norms there of, of keeping it inside. If someone's listening today, Roshni, who maybe is carrying uh, the burden of not belonging, uh, the burden of being bullied, uh, the burden of Hinduism or maybe a, a Muslim uh, influence, what would you want to say to them right now to touch their heart from your experience? You know, I would say this, um, that ask yourself, do you have peace? Do you know where you're going? Do you have hope? Um, those three things are very important, you know, because I know a lot of us are looking for that peace and a lot of us are looking for that hope. Um, we want to be reassured what's the next step after we leave this world. And so if you don't know the answers to that question, I would really say, you know what? We live in a great generation right now because we have the computer in front of us. Go to the computer, look up, you know what? The Bible. Look up the scripture, right? There is a Bible there in the computer and you could go into, um, you version. There's you version out there or just link onto, you know, a Bible that can help you to search the truth. And when you get to that Bible, I would really suggest pray for Jesus to reveal to you the truth. Because when you ask him to reveal to you, he will eventually reveal to you. Because that's exactly what happened to me. I was constantly, you know what, calling on him, asking him. And I always believe in the scripture so powerful. Ask, you know, in Matthew it says, ask, seek, right? And the door will be open, right? And that's exactly what I was doing. It's a very simple formula. We just make it so complicated. Mm. You know, we really do. And so yeah. I would suggest you do that. And as far as depression goes, I would really ask, you know what, who's listening, be proactive, you know, not be reactive like I was. Mm. What I did was not healthy, became reactive. So be proactive. Don't be afraid to talk to someone about it. Don't be afraid that you will be judged. 
You know what? Those are lies that we feed ourselves mentally. And I also say that is the lie of Satan. Mm. I look back and I really see that. How much, you know what? He lies to us constantly. And his scheme is to destroy mankind because he wants to be worshipped, not, you know, that God should be worshipped. So I really suggest that. Seek the truth and stop feeding yourself lies. Because, you know what? Through lies, you will not have hope, and you will not have hope in Jesus Christ. And I would suggest that you do that. Roshni, not to put you on the spot, but as you were going through this transition and 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 God really purged all of that stuff out of you and, and you felt the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, was there any particular scripture that kind of popped at you, uh, Any any particular... A uh, verse, or, or at least a paraphrase, that just kind of popped out at you, and you said, "Wow, wow! This God has really spoken to me through this." You know, as I think about a really cool scripture, and I think about the scripture of hope, God has been laying hope in my life mm. a lot. And um, one thing is that this scripture is really powerful to me, and that is Psalms thirty-nine seven. It says, and so, Lord, where do I put my hope? That's a question. Mm. My own, my only hope is in you. Mm. There's no one else outside of God that can give you that hope. I know there's a lot of, you know what, religions out there, and I'm not putting down religion. This is not about putting down religion. It's not, you know what, judging anyone. It's about, you know what, helping you to understand the truth that there is one living God, and that is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, all three in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you accept him personally, have that personal relationship with him, your life will change, and it's going to be rewarding. It's going to be blessed. I am a blessed woman right now after accepting Jesus Christ, and God is going to use you. See, our purpose is to be used by God. And I know a lot of us are looking for that, that purpose. Why are we here, right? Well, our purpose really is to glorify God and to be used for God. And so when you put your hope in God by accepting him, you know, as um, I did, and uh, recognizing Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, your life will change, I guarantee it. Now, I won't say it will be a perfect life. That I will not say. Right. Because we still, you know what, we'll endure storms in this life. But you know what? As we endure storms, who is our strength? Where does our hope come from? It comes from the Lord. And that's where it's going to come from. Amen. Roshni, thank you for being so transparent with us. Powerful, powerful time this evening. And I'm thinking that there may be folks out there, uh, Asians who may be going through some of the kinds of things that that you are, may have questions, and in order to protect your privacy, I'm going to give our phone number here, and if folks will call us, we will be happy to put them in touch with you. This goes around the world, so uh, let's uh, let's just make uh, Lighthouse Live and Advancing Vibrant Communities the contact point. If you have questions for Roshni, you'd like to get a hold of her, talk to her, uh, give us a call, area code 209-544-9571, that's 209 209- Five four four nine five seven one, or you can email us at info at vibrantcommunities dot org. Info at vibrantcommunities 
org. And again, our, our guest tonight has been Roshni Hurlbert. Normally, uh, Chris or I, uh, end this with, with prayer, but Roshni, I, I think tonight we'd like to ask a favor of you to just end with a prayer of thanksgiving to God and a prayer also for those out there who may be going through some of the same stuff you are. Would you do that for us? Okay. Heavenly Father, I come before your gracious God Almighty, the God of, uh, you know what, creation. And God, you are so faithful. God, you are so awesome. I just think about your amazing grace. And Lord, as I pray, Father God, I just ask that you help me. Help me to say the right words that glorify you and that it will worship you, Lord God. I ask, Father God, for those listeners who are praying, Heavenly Father, be with them as they're going through life, you know, um, wherever they are, Lord God. I just really pray that your um, spirit will just lift them up, Father God, in a mighty way. Yes. Give them hope, O oh Lord God. Give them reassurance. Give them peace, Father God. Help them to understand the truth, Father God, of who you are in their life, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you give them hope, Lord, for whatever situation they're in, Father. I pray that you give them peace, Almighty God. I pray that you give them that compassion, love, Lord Jesus. I pray these things, God, because you're God Almighty and you love your creation, Lord. And I know that you have a purpose for your man, for everyone, Father God. And I know that these people that are listening to me, Father God, they're all, you know what? your creation in a mighty way, Lord, help them to understand the truth that you are that living God that is real. All they have to do is call on you, ask you, Father God, to reveal you to them, Father God. I ask, Father God, for salvation for those who need salvation, Father God, and I also ask in prayer, Lord God, that if there's someone out there that is going through depression or is trying to attempt, you know, suicide, God, Help them to find truth, Lord God. Help them to get to a phone or help them to talk to someone, Lord God. Help them to get help, Lord Jesus. Help them to be proactive then reactive, almighty Jesus, because Satan wants to destroy them. But God, you are a powerful God and you have a purpose from all your creation. I ask these things in your mighty, mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Again, Roshni, thank you so much for blessing us tonight. This is one of the most powerful nights I think we've had here at Lighthouse Life. Thank you for that gift uh, from God tonight. Again, if you'd like to get a hold of Roshni, you can give us a call, 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. On behalf of Chris Whitler and all of us here at Lighthouse Live and Advancing Environment Communities, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you again here on Lighthouse Live.